Well, good morning, and it's an honor to be with you this morning. Um, I went to Christian college, so I know what the chapel is like. Um, many of these chapels that I sat on, I know I went to chapel, but that's all I know. I didn't remember anything out of anything. Most of the time, it was too early for me. I'm a night owl, so to be early morning for chapel, it was nap time with nice music. It was just great. But I see all guys are standing up, raising your hand, worshiping God. That's awesome. And, um, you know, when I get an invitation to speak to young minds like yours, it's a huge responsibility simply because if we could change the campus, we could change the world. And you are the world changers. The rest of history rests on your shoulders. And I know some of you said, I'm just trying to get a degree and go on with my life. Exactly. That's exactly the world will be the way you will become. So I don't take this lightly, and I'm so glad to be here with you. I want to start very quickly with introducing my family. Um, this is the picture of my families about a year ago on the beach. Uh, me and Amy met actually at the Bible College. Hopefully, you will end up the same way. And there was... Um, Almost July will be 30 years of marriage. We have three boys. Jonathan is about to be 23. He's still going to college and working a full-time job. Luke in the middle, he is 22. He's about to graduate from UCF this summer. And Micah is 16. And we're not sure if he's going to graduate from high school because he thinks school is a waste of time. He's going to make his first million in the first month he's done with school. But anyway, um, that's my family. We live in Lake Mary, Florida, which Lake Mary is a suburb of Orlando, right between Orlando and Daytona Beach. This is where we live. And, and I just want to make sure you know how to pronounce my name. It is Shaddy. S-H-A-D-D-Y, shaddy like daddy. I don't want you to do to me what Starbucks does. You know, I was in an airport yesterday getting my Starbucks, and I usually give them a fake name, like uh, I'll pick one of my boys' names, you know, Micah or Luke, you know, easy name, so they could call me, right? Now, I have the app, so they scan the app, and they, based on the app, they put the name on the cup, and I'm here on the airport, I'm waiting on my cup of coffee, and uh, the lady gets up there, and she, she looks at the cup, and I know it's mine, and, and, and she's, she's struggling, she's going, shh, I said, oh, Lord, shh, shh, it's like, I, I, you know, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. That she's shady. I'm not getting that cup. I'm, I mean, everybody start looking like, where's that guy? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting it. Just forget it. You know, I just wait for it. You know, so later on, I just kind of like, yeah, that was mine. You know, it's like shady. Okay, but so shady like daddy. So last name is Solomon, like King Solomon. It's just spelled a little different, like the Arabic word. You know, Arabic world spill it, Suleiman. So, you know, Professor Rami will understand exactly why that is. I don't know. But anyway, so um, um, I want to start with you today talking. I want to talk about life hacks, the shortcut, the skinny on life, and the best way that adulting become possible. I know college is a struggle between two things. One, kind of like 
getting out of the house, doing your own thing, but now you expect it to be young adult, and there's all this responsibility, which does not feel cool, and it does not feel good, but yet, okay, that's the new season I'm in, and I want to talk to you about life hacks. It's the, the short way. What is the best way? What can I start with that if I know these two anchors in my life are established, I know I'm building solid. And many of us in college, especially in college, I remember those days very well. I came to the U.S. on a soccer scholarship. It was miscommunication between us in Egypt and them here in the U.S. We thought of the recruiting with the soccer scholarship or any type of scholarship for me to come to America. They, I assumed, we assumed that uh, they teach English as a second language or something. And they assumed if you filled out the application, you're coming to America, you know English. So it was assumption both ways, and I came to the U.S., and I only had three years of French. Just like you had three years of Spanish. How much Spanish do you know? Nada. Okay, so that's exactly. So it was, it was culture shock. It was language disaster. It was trying to grow up. And there's no mama come wake me up even when the alarm goes off because, you know, I'm used to that. And, and, and she always begged me, you're going to miss school. You know, breakfast is ready. And I, I'm used to that. Now the alarm goes off. I shut it off. I go to sleep. I miss the class. It's like, who's responsible? I want, why don't you wake me up? I mean, I can't find anybody to blame, so it became kind of like a, a shock of the reality, right? I know you guys don't deal with that, but that was back in the 80s and the 90s. People dealt with this type of things. So I want to start with you. I want to I kind of focus you on a passage in the New Testament that Jesus was having a conversation with the disciples, but he highlighted something. Now, you know this. You're in Bible college. You're in Christian school. You hear all preacher talking, you know, and so you know all this stuff, but I just want to highlight it very quick for you. So Jesus always was good at one thing, taking the principles of the kingdom of God and bring them to reality of the world with word vision and with this with these stories, and he takes something from what they know and from the elements of life that they're used to, and he creates these parables or these stories that he tells them to highlight something very complicated. So Jesus knew how to take things very big, very complicated, and make them simple so people will know how to live them out. So this is one of these passages. In Luke 6, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Let's pause here for a second. Most of us who live in the Western world, we um, don't understand really lordship. We don't understand that because we all live in democracy. We're born in nations that you get to vote and all that stuff. But Jesus is talking from a kingship. Jesus is talking from a perspective they understand. If you ever were born in a country that have a king or maybe Saudi Arabia, maybe Morocco, maybe one of these kingdoms that have a king. Everybody that's born in a nation with a king, they have a whole different mindset than those who are born in, you know, nations that have a president or prime minister or you get to vote. Why? Because everybody that's born in a kingdom understands something. The king and the royal family own the land. They own the land. And everything in the land belongs to them eventually, including you. It doesn't matter how much you achieve. It doesn't matter how much you build. It doesn't matter how much you have. 
eventually this belonged to the king and if the king wants it it's his no question asked not long ago um i don't know if you saw that one of the crown prince of saudi arabia ordered a audi and got audi to build it out of pure silver okay so that you could google this is so cool so they build him this special audi made out of pure silver well he was kind of like one of the kids in the kingdom the problem is the king liked it so the king liked it and the king want to get one made out of gold so when he approached the audi to build him one he says no you know building your your relative this thing out of silver it was just too much we we can't do it anymore now he wants that silver one you see what i'm saying so that's how kingdom is it doesn't matter what you have it doesn't matter what you build it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're living in a kingdom you always live with a mindset that all belong to who eventually this all belong to the king and if the king wants it it's his so now when jesus says well you call me lord <laughs> why you guys he says, Lord, Lord, Lord. Jesus said, boys, cut it out. Stop calling me Lord. Why? Because they understood what Lordship is. Lordship is this. Whatever Jesus says, they're supposed to do, right? Why? Because we know this. Here we vote. And if we don't like our representative that comes up with, with something, we're going to work on getting somebody else that represents our values and our beliefs so that we have a representation in the law that will govern us. That's the democracy for you. So if you don't want to wear a mask, that's fine. Elect somebody that will say masks are bad and you know i'm just messing with you you know but anyway so that's that's how it works but not in a kingdom kingdom rules with a king and the royal family will issue a kingdom decree and the decree becomes the what the law you have no input on that i have no input on that so jesus says you calling me lord so my words should be decrees and it should be what you do, but you really don't do anything, I tell you. Now, Jesus always kind of like softened this a little bit. He says, listen, I don't rule over you like the world rule over you. I actually want to rule over you with love that draw you to believe in me. But now, if you actually choose me to be Lord over your life, if you choose to listen to me, here is what will be the benefit for you. Everybody says, what's in it for me? That's the mindset of democracy. What's in it for me? If it doesn't have nothing to do with me, it have nothing to do with me. What's in it for me? Jesus says, here's what's in it for you. In case you want to call me Lord and you actually mean it. Then he says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? As for everyone who call, comes to me and hears my words and put them to practice, I will show you what they are like. Then he give them an example. Now, Professor Rami lived in, in, in the region where the text was written. If you ever go to Israel or the region, you will know this. Majority of the land, a lot of sand. But for you to establish anything, you better find stone to build on. So you got to dig until you find stone. You got to lay 
something based on a rock. You could not just build on the sand. So Jesus knows this how these guys understand. That that's how they build homes. So he starts telling them the same thing. says that they are like a man building a house who dug deep, down deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the, tur the turn struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. In contrast, here's another one. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the turn struck the house, it collapsed and it, its destruction was absolutely complete. It was full destruction. In Shadi's translation, two guys in Florida, there's a lot of that. Two guys went to a new subdivision, and they saw the model home, and they liked the same model home. Both says, that's the model home I want. Now, when they went to sign the contract, both of them chose waterfront lots. So when they went to sign the contract, the contractor set them down and says, yes, I know you like that model home, and that's the price of the regular model home, but because you chose waterfront lot, that's going to require extra foundation because you're on the water. The wise guy says, I understand waterfront require more foundations. I'll pay you, no problem. Go ahead, build the house. The other guy came and said, oh, no, no, no. I know how you contractors work. This is bait and switch. You sold me the model home, and now you want to jack up the price. Tell me because I picked a lot that's on the water. What kind of nonsense is that? I'm not paying a penny more than what you said the model home costs. Sir, but you chose a waterfront lot. I don't care what I chose. You said that's the price. That's the only thing I'm going to pay End of the story. Sir, if you want us to build that house waterfront, you're going to sign some waivers because we're not responsible for your house that you don't want the proper foundation. I will sign anything for you. Just build it. And here we go. Both houses start going up. Both houses look exactly the same. And in a normal day, both houses were fine <laughs> then one night the wind start blowing the rain start coming in florida we call these hurricanes and they woke up in the morning you see in the regular day the guy that did not pay more the one that did not have foundations they will be coming home and he will hit his garage door opener and his garage door goes in and he would look at his wife, see, honey, that fool next door to us, he paid twice as much for his house. She said, I know I married a real man. There's no one like you, honey. You got us the house for half price with no foundations. What a genius. I married you. You know, this is, this is amazing. So, yeah, that's great. You're good, baby. You're good. So that couple sitting up in the morning for breakfast on the water, on their waterfront house, she said, that was a bad storm last night. Mm -hmm. That was horrible, eating breakfast. He said, honey, is that our washer and dryer floating down the water? It looks like them. Babe, 
Just relax and enjoy your breakfast. Don't disturb my spirit. What are you talking about? Wash your It looks like our car floating down. Our, is the whole house moving? What are you talking about? See, in a normal day, both houses stand fine. But when the storm hits, that's what will differentiate between the one with foundations and the proper foundation and the one that has no foundations. See, here's what we don't understand. I worked for an architect for a while before the ministry. And um, foundations are a problem. Here's why the problem is. If you're going to build a high building, the taller the building, the deeper the foundation, the more cost involved. This is just more cost involved. A lot of money goes under the ground. The problem is owners don't understand these things, so usually architects get fired because the owners think, you're ribbing me off. We're burying all this money underground. I went to the side. I saw nothing there. You want how much more money? You keep asking more money and more money and more money. Yes, we agreed on all this money. But I went to the side. There's nothing. There's a slab of concrete and a couple of sticks sticking out. What is that? You took all this money for what? Most owners don't understand what goes underneath. But that will determine everything about your building. From, from the plumbing to the, you know, back then was all the internet cables and everything have to be airtight and gold-plated so it will not rust. Why? Because anything goes in the foundation is permanent. If you're going to fix anything in the foundations, you know what it requires? An ugly word called jackhammers. Uh, that thing costs a lot of money if it have to go in your foundations. And now, Jesus... Saying to them, if you want to build the right foundations, build it on something that does not shake around, that does not change. See, foundations are all based on what they build on. What do you build it on? You know, years ago when I was working for the architect, there was a building in town that they wanted to do engineering evaluation. And the, the reason they want to do engineering evaluations, um, the building, something weird starts happening. By the second floor, you know, they, they see all this, you know, uh, the doors are not aligned. For some reason, the doors doesn't really close right. So they keep shaving things of the doors, and start, but the doors really don't close right. By the fourth floor, there is separation between the ceiling and the walls. It start cracking and start showing. By the sixth floor, there's gaps in the wall. And they're wondering, what's wrong? You know what was wrong? It's a middle frame building. You know what's wrong? A very tiny, 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 tiny miscalculation. So... Some of the beams are not really 90 degrees. The problem is, first floor, you will never know. Second floor, not really. And the longer you go, the taller you go, the more there is gaps, there is issues. See, some of us, you haven't lived long enough yet to understand the foundations you're laying right now will determine the rest of your life. Why is that a big deal? Here's the big deal about it. Life is made up of a series of storms. It's a bunch of storms happening around you. You're either into a storm or coming out of a storm or heading toward another one. 
And I know some of you says, oh, Lord, that's a, is, the, is the, the guy that bringing the good news today, huh? Okay, so yes, you're either in a storm or getting out of storm or moving to another one. Now, some of you have not lived long enough to know the storms of life, but you may live them with your parents. Maybe you saw other people going through the storm, the storm of finance, the storm of divorce, the storm of abuse, the storm of pain, the storm of bad doctor diagnosed, the storm of losing loved one. Life is a series of storms. Now these storms strike your house, strike what you're building day and night. Now, in Florida, we build with Hurricane Code 4. We're in the middle of a building project right now. Everything has to be hurricane code for it. You know how they set up the building codes? The building codes is determined by a hundred years study of the worst weather ever. So they pick the worst weather in a hundred years. And that's how they set the code. The code got to be a little better than the worst storm that came in a hundred years. I don't know how they build around here, but that's how Florida does it. What happened if a storm hit that is much greater than the codes they build with? In 92, that happened in a small town called Homestead, Florida, south in Miami. You could Google that. 92, storm, Hurricane Andrew came through. I was in college, and I went down with the, the relief help after the, the storm. You know what happened? Because the, the storm that hit was Category 5, and they built everything with Category 4. You know what happened? A complete wipeout. Complete wipeout. The pavement on the streets, I kid you not, it was rolled like a rug. It's like somebody rolled a rug in piles. You, you look at it around like, what kind of wind that could just get underneath the pavement and pile it up? It's just crazy like your snow. But it's a pavement. <laughs> so you think about that, it's like, wow, that's crazy. Jesus says, life is full of these powerful storms. You better be building with the worst storm in mind. <laughs> so what do you build on? Jesus said, you got to build on something that is not shifting, that is not moving, that is not changing. The problem is, some people build around their career. That can change. Some people build around their degree. That could be obsolete in a few years. Some people build around their spouse, kids, the town they live in. The problem is people build on politics. People build on view, worldview. People build on all kind of stuff. The problem, if you build your life on these things, these things will change. The problem, when these things change, and that's the foundation you build on, everything you build claps. And you see people going through the rebuild of their life. And the rebuild of their life, the be that's always costly, and it takes away. So, Jesus was highlighting one thing. The solid foundation that you must build with is one word most of us really don't understand. It's called lordship. Why are you calling me Lord? Am I Lord? Am I Lord? See, most of us build on Jesus as our Savior. But most of us forgot that he is not a Savior. 
let me clarify very quick for all of you theology majors. It's just, you know, I threw you a curveball right here. Neither Peter, the apostle to the Jews, or Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, preached Jesus as Savior. Fact check. Both of them, Peter and Paul, preached Jesus to be Lord and Savior. Why? Jesus cannot save what he's not Lord over. So you got to allow him to be Lord for him to truly save. Some people just want Jesus to be Savior. Who's the Lord? I'm still the Lord. Um, that does not work. You're on your own. Jesus either is Lord of all or not Lord at all. He's just not looking for, he's not looking for partnership. He's not looking for who leads. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, and he want to be Lord. So that's the first life hacks of those who building and getting in lifetime foundation like you. Because you are right now building on something. If you're building on just Jesus saved me, now I get to do my own life. You won't ask the Holy Spirit what to do. You won't consider what the Word of God leading you to do. You will not be liable. You're not going to be the person that God can move through you because now He saved me. Now I get to do life on my own. So Jesus emphasized Lordship. Is Jesus truly Lord of all? See, Lordship cannot exist without obedience. So lordship leads to a life of obedience. So how do you know you're building solid foundations? You got to build based on the word of God and full obedience to his lordship. The word of God and full obedience to his lordship. Um, I got to tell you this. But I hope I don't mess up people. Okay, I'll try not. Um, um, I met my wife at, at the Bible college we went to. And she was complete opposite of me. I'm loud, obnoxious, you know, all kind of stuff. She will tell you all kind of stuff, you know. And soccer player at the time. And, you know, one of them, just the party. Where's the party? That's all, you know. Just to hang out and, you know, we'll do crazy stuff. That's what, how I enjoy life. So um, she is from a little town called Purvis, Mississippi. Purvis, Mississippi, there is a sign before city limits that set your clock 20 years behind. I mean, they're still struggling with existing of the internet. I mean, Purvis, Mississippi is serious. When I go there, I must make a mental decision. I will be cut off the world. It's okay. It's okay. You know, you send the text and I walk around the farm. They live on a hundred acres farm going like this with the phone, you know. I tried to send that message. And I go, bing, what is that? Nothing. <laughs> you know, and you keep walking until the message goes through, like, hallelujah. Sending an email, just, just might as well just don't think about it. Okay, that takes too much. So Amy grew up in that environment. I grew up in a city of 20 million people, Cairo, Egypt, a city that does not sleep. We are opposite of everything. Then we did what everybody does in a Bible college. What do you do? You fall in love and you get married while you're stupid. <laughs> I'm telling you what we did. So the summer we got married, the summer we got married, I kid you not, it was 18 couples that we all went to school together, got married in the same summer. 
I know that never happened here. But anyway, so it was everybody's getting married. So we got married. And now my wife was, you know, singing in the choir of the church where the college is. And we had this Toyota Corona. It was not a virus back then. And it was not a beer. It was a car. Toyota Corona. Seriously. So her daddy gave her this Toyota Corona, you know, as our wedding gift. It was a great car. Yes, you could Google. You see the picture of Toyota Corona. Yeah, it was a car. So anyway, so um, she's driving the Toyota Corona, and she went to the rehearsal at the church. And when she came out of the rehearsal at the church, somebody smashed the passenger window because she left her purse on the seat. Now, she came home, she said, somebody broke my window. The problem with that, the following week, we're going to go, we had spring break, so we're driving to Mississippi to go home. First of all, I don't want to take the car that her daddy gave her with a broken window because, what, she's not married to a man that could fix a window? I mean, that will be an insult. So this is bad. I got to fix the window. Two, I don't want to drive... 11 hours on the road with no window. That's just not good. So my wife, every morning, she woke up. Guess what she asked me? Did you fix a window? Did you fix the window? The problem is, I've been in every known-to-man junkyard in the county looking for that window. And back then, you could call them. And no, do you have a Toyota Corona 82? No, no, they hang up. So she said, I know you could fix the window. You should fix the window. We're leaving in the morning. You got to fix the window. I said, so you think I should? I tell you what, why don't you get in the car with me, and we're going to go find the window. Okay, let's go. So I drove my wife to first junkyard. We could not find the window. Drove to another junkyard. There's no window. And now... You know, I'm getting excited. I'm showing my wife how much I know about cars, you know, in a junkyard. So about 3.30 in the afternoon, we went to this far away and out of nowhere junkyard. And when we got there, the guys over there, I was talking to them. I know they were having their afternoon break with funny smoke. So, um, uh, and you could tell they're all high, you know. He said, yeah, man, just drive, drive, drive down there. You may find it. I said, got it, man. Okay, so, we, you know, we got in the car, and we're driving in the junkyard looking at all the windows. I'm trying to find one that fits, right? Now, some of them was electric windows, so I have a wire with me that I hook it up to the battery and find the switch in the door. I take the door out. I put the window out, and my wife said, why are we doing this? You know a, 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 a Camaro window is not going to fit on a Toyota. What? Let's just put it down. Let's see it. Why are we doing this? I'm taking all these windows out. Now it's getting dark. There's no windows. It's getting dark. She said, let's just do something else. Let's just get out of here. So I got in the car, drove to the front to get out. And guess what? These guys forgot we're in there. So, they have this 10-foot-high chain-length fence with a big gate. They just closed the gate and chained it with a chain this big and went home. So, we pull up to the front, and the gate is chained. And my wife freaks out. We're leaving in the morning. We're not spending a night in the junkyard. Now, I said, just stay calm. 
Just stay calm. And now she's going, you know. I'm like, babe, just relax. Let me think. Okay, all right, all right. Now, there's also two bulldogs. They're just growling. They're ready to attack. I don't know what they're attacking for, but there's two big dogs loose in there. So I said, babe, do me a favor. When I get out the car, jump in the driver's seat. What are you doing? Don't ask questions. Just jump in the driver's seat. I spotted a tow truck parked this side. So I thought I may find like a slash hammer or I find, you know, a, a, a big cutter that I could cut the chain with. So when I got on the tow truck, it was a stick shift. I love stick shift. And to my greatest surprise, they lift the key in the ignition. Perfect. She's perfect. I cranked that baby, backed it up, and when I let off my foot off the clutch, I hit that gate with every weight that truck got. I thought if I hit it so hard, the lock will snap. Well, the problem is the chain and the lock was much stronger than the whole entire fence. So a whole wall that spanned out about 20 feet with two big columns, you know, these concrete columns, the whole thing, I kid you not, the whole thing was like, it's just, it's just like, you know, Jericho. The whole wall, the whole wall. When I hit that gate, the whole wall went, dust everywhere, dust everywhere. I mean, the whole thing went down. Then I parked the truck just like I found it. Don't want to mess anybody up. Jumped out, ran from the dogs, got in the car. I said, drive, drive, drive. He says, what? Drive fast. The reason is as soon as we cut over the dust, I noticed there is a trailer parked out there. And these bozos were smoking. They're coming out of the trailer in their underwear like, what's happening? You know, smoke's everywhere. And I see them running, getting in their car. Florida thing, drive faster, faster, faster. My wife says, oh, no. I said, just Florida thing. They're going to chase us. We'll drive fast. I mean, we went over railroad tracks. I kid you not. It was like a movie. The car hijacked like this in the air, and it landed, boosh, and it's just faster. And she's, she's holding on to the thing. You're making me a criminal. No, you're the one driving. I'm not. Get, get out of here. Get out of here. We're driving. And these people are chasing us, you know, then we got to the highway. I know we lost them. My wife did not, did not sleep that night. She kept getting up, looking out the window to see if somebody coming. I'm just telling you what happened when you get married young and stupid. So, um, so we ended up in Home Depot getting a plexiglass and duct tape. Duct tape could fix anything. Just duct taped the whole thing. I mean, I duct taped that thing, you know. You wonder, why is he telling us the story? I don't know. So another, another reason, a life hack for you. Be careful how you make decisions about relationships. <laughs> I just talked to you about lordship. Now I want to talk to you about relationships. Relationships, it will make you or break you. Relationships could have a potential to wreck your life. So slow down. Establish your foundations on the rock in Jesus. I want to share with you, and oh my goodness, okay, could I take two minutes? 
two. Would you give me two? Anybody else give me three? You say, that's four. Oh, my goodness, 15 minutes. We're good. Okay, we'll, we'll finish before lunch. Okay, so strong biblical foundations in life does not guarantee a storm-free life, but a storm-proof one. Just because you have a, just because you got saved, just because you know the Word of God, just because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, just because you could pray in tongues, it does not guarantee it's going to be storm-free. But now you know and I know you could stand solid, firm, and foundations. So, now, I want to tell you two myths about relationships. I'm going to go through this fast. First myth that will mess you up. First myth is the right person myth. The right person myth. Do you believe there is the right one for somebody? Yeah, I, I do believe God have the right one for you. I'm not talking about that. Here's the right person myth. The right person myth is this. When I find the right one, everything with me is going to be all right. <laughs> it's the right person myth. If I just find the right one, everything is going to be all right. I'm going to be fine. Why? Because I married the right one. It doesn't matter if I live a pigsty in the dorm. I mean, and, and my, my room is so messy. It doesn't matter if my finances are out of order. It doesn't matter how bad life is. Okay, when I marry the right one, I'm going to act right. I'm going to do everything right. Everything is going to be all right. I just need to find the right one. That's a myth. Here's why. The right one does not exist. And if there is the right one... Why should they be married to you? Because if they're right and they marry you, you mess them up. Now they're not right. So it's a myth. If I find the right one, it's going to fix me. They're not going to fix you. You're going to make bigger mess. Okay? You know, none of us really daydream. You don't daydream, you know, man... The day I deal with my pride and the day I know how to walk humbly with God and the day I'm going to learn how to forgive and the day that I'm going to get rid of lust in my life and the day I'm going to, could I say that in a Bible college, the day I'm going to quit looking at pornography and all the stuff, you know, and if, if I just, if, you know, the day that happened, I'm going to be all right. None of us, they dream of that. You know what we daydream of? Meeting her. Meeting that one. Meeting him. That guy. So we daydream about found, finding somebody or be found with somebody. So we base our life in this myth. The problem with the myth, here's the problem with the myth. Your behavior is dictated by what you believe. So now how you behave is based on what you believe. And if you're believing a myth, you're behaving under that. And the way you behave it form your habits. So where habit comes from? Habit comes from repeated behavior based on a belief system. So to change your habits is to address your behavior and to address your behavior you must change your belief system and i don't have time to talk about that but if you believe a myth you're gonna be thinking like that behaving like this and that's a problem so what do you want to do this is number one not becoming the you know i got to find them i got to find them then when you find them when you find them if you find them when you find them you want to make a fast move what is that 
You better lock it in marriage. I mean, she's fine. He's fine. You, let's just get married fast. Because you want to lock them. Why you want to lock them? Because to find something, you got to hunt for it. Guys, if she runs from you, that's the one you think it is. Because you like to hunt. You want to chase her. And ladies, it's like shopping for you. It's like shopping. Like when you go shopping, what are you looking for? I don't know. So why are we here? We're, why we're here? We're looking. What are you looking for? I will know it when I see it, okay? So you don't even know what you want. You know you want to be found and you want to find something, but you really don't know what you're looking for. But you will know it when you find it. Okay, the problem is what you're going to find is a guy that's putting a front to impress you. And when he lock you in, he just become himself again. You get that? We think marriage is a cage to lock in what you catch. It's not like that. It's not like that. There's a lot into relationship more than finding or be found. So that's first myth. Second myth that leads from first myth, I got to find the right person. Second myth is the promise myth. What do you mean a promise? If you just promise me you're going to love me forever, if you promise me you're going to treat me right, if you promise me a commitment level, it's the commitment, the vow, the commitment, the vow, the promise, the commitment. If he just said the right thing, if she just promised me, promise me, promise me, promise me, commit to me, commit to me, the vow. I think commitment, promises, and vows are overrated. Here's why. Here's why. Because a promise cannot replace preparation promise could never substitute preparation so promises are not substitution for preparation commitment of vows here's the problem with that saying i do does not equal i can saying i do does not equal i can what do you mean Many people are very sincere to vow and very sincere to commit and very sincere to say yes and very sincere to promise. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. A promise, a commitment, a vow without you able to do, you know what that makes you? It just makes you accountable. When you say I will, that makes you accountable. So what does that mean? Here's the problem with that. When you are accountable but not capable, you're miserable. That's, that's, that, I just saved you hundreds of dollars of marriage counseling right there. Okay, that explains a lot of marriages. They promise a lot of things, and they're not capable, and now they're miserable. And people get hurt with unfulfilled expectation because they were promised something they could not commit to. So, what's the answer? The answer, instead of trying to find the right person, the answer, instead of trying to be found by the right person, become the right person become the right person you control this one you control the becoming so become the right person become the kind of person that the person you are looking for is looking for become the right person and here's why this is your time to become this is your time to become lordship is the first step of you becoming what God called you to be. The Word of God is the foundation you want to be establishing and creating the discipline 
to obey the word of God in every aspect of your life, even when nobody's around, even if nobody's watching, you're becoming the right person. And when you become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for, it will become a God moment because God will reward who you're becoming, not what you're trying to find. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words. Thank you for your truth. And thank you for the depth and the big plans that you have for us. I pray that you're not just a savior. You're not just a spirit that we talk to. I pray that you take your rightful places in our life as Lord over all. I pray for every man, every woman, every student in this room. May we become the kind of people that you created us to be and that we walk according to your plan. In the mighty, matchless name of Jesus.